Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing good, Pam. You doing all right? I'm good. Hey, I want you to think about when we get closer to 24 hours in the canyon. Yeah. How are you feeling? Um, if I'm honest, stressed, uh, probably short fused, probably. I won't say anything about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a stressful, crazy time. Busy. Now, can you imagine that stress that you have? What does our patients feel like whenever they get that diagnosis of, hey, you have cancer? We have talked about that at great length internally, right? We've talked about the the um, overload of information. We've talked about the proverbial drinking from the fire hose. Um, it's, it has to be compounded even worse than what my example is, right? Right, right. So I'm excited about today's um, guest. Hopefully she will um, bring some insight to all this emotional overload that our patients go through. Absolutely. I think um, this is one of those topics that um, can be packaged in about 12 different ways. And we've got a great package today to unpack and go through talking about being overloaded and having just this emotional uh, roller coaster, as we talk about. We're super excited to have our guest today, and I want to introduce her. Her name is Julie Larson. She's a uh, licensed uh, clinical social worker. She spent her career working in oncology supportive care, which we know a lot about, right, Pam? And yeah. works with individuals facing a serious diagnosis. She's a speaker, she's an author, she's an educator, and she is here today uh, to discuss with us emotional overload. Julie, thank you for joining us. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I am always honored to have these opportunities to talk and to connect with people who are sitting in the in the trenches with a cancer diagnosis. So thanks for giving me a chance to be here. Well, you're very welcome. And I know that uh, I, I just want to say really quick to our listeners, um, if you're listening to this in your car, that's fantastic. If you're listening to it at home, get a piece of paper out get a yeah. pen. Um, there is a lot, a lot of good information I know is coming your way. And the reason I know that is, is because we found Julie because of another podcast, another uh, webinar that, that you did, Julie. And um, just to kind of talk about that up front, I want our folks to realize that this is about to be a, a lot of great, solid, good tips and good information and validation of where they are, right? Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying get a piece of paper and a pen. I, I often start my talks that way, you know, grab something to write down to just make notes of what really resonates for you, but also to really use my words as a guide or as a way to begin to really think about yourself, because I like to challenge people to kind of just sit back and, Hey, how am I doing? Like what's happening for me and, and begin to really, really look at this in a different way. For, that's so, that's really the, the best way to do it and you know and um there there's some of these things that that you're not going to as, as julie just said resonate you're not going to resonate with some of these things you're going to go no that's not me 
Oh, mm-hmm. this is me. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's me right there. I know. Or, hey, I that's did. my spouse. Or wow, <laughs> that's my adult child. You yes. know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> this cancer doesn't happen to one person, right? It happens to the whole system, the whole family, and we're all trying to navigate into this in an emotional way. So let's start from the beginning of diagnosis. What happens when a person is diagnosed? How? What kind of emotions do they go through? Well, I do, you know, I do think that there, everyone is different. You know that we could say that everyone responds in a very personal and unique way, but having done this for a long time, I would say that there is um, some predictability to how that response is at diagnosis in active treatment and then post-treatment as we kind of move into fear of recurrence and long-term survivorship. And, and that can be not only for the survivor, but also for caregivers and loved ones. I think at that initial stage of newly diagnosed, there is shock. There's over complete overwhelm, whether that's an overwhelm of information overload, like I, how do I immediately begin to dive in to the medical information and understand my lane? Because one diagnosis of cancer can be many things and many different treatment options. So the medical piece of that also, how do I understand this emotionally and mentally communication? How do I begin to talk about this? So all of that just feels like an influx of emotion that is confusing. That is, you might feel scared and fearful alone. A lot of people talk about feeling alone. A lot of people talk about feeling sad and worry, like what's changing in my life that I don't really want to change, but it seems inevitable. You know, how, how do I just begin to figure it's take step one. And a lot of this is wrapped around one word that you used um, to, to in, in your previous presentation is stress, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a, ma- I mean, we're all stressed. We all deal with it in different ways. Um, but let's talk about stress and let's, let's, let's educate us about stress. Yeah. So I, you know, and, and again, this might meet people in many different ways. Some people might have already a kind of a lot of information about they've gone to therapy. They think about their stress regularly. Other people are like, wow, this is the first time this is hitting me. And I got to look at this differently, but stress is our body's way of responding to a demand just simply. Um, and it, we have an emotional, a mental, a physical response to stress Um, and those things show up in all different ways. I think that sometimes uh, are definitely stress is, is subjective. So what totally stresses me out may not bug you at all. And I, and I, when I sit with couples or when I sit with families, sometimes that's what becomes tricky in relationships because people are, have a hard time understanding one another that, that what's really bugging and upsetting and irritating and feeling very challenging for one person. The other person's like, I don't get that. I don't understand why it's so bothersome to you. So, so I think that's important to remember that stress is different for different people. Um, you know, stress, you're talking about your, your bike ride. Stress is not inherently bad. I mean, we all experience stress all the time and stress also helps us to kind of gear up for a challenge. So I don't want to completely eradicate and vilify this thing called stress because we need it. We need it to kind of sit up on the edge of our seat and pay attention and focus and feel ready for something. But there are times when it has diminishing returns and it, and it kind of gets in our way and it makes it hard for us to grab on and to care for ourselves. And I think that's what we need to look at. So when we're going through a stressful moment in time, um, how do we help manage our mind to cope with that stress? 
Mm-hmm. I think step one, and when I sit with people in my office, one of the first ways that I begin to work with people is around self-awareness. So step one here, and this may sound obvious, but do you know when you're stressed? Probably you're like, you know, rolling your eyes. I'm like, yes, of course I know when I'm stressed. But how does it first show up for you, right? Because I think well, over time I've sat with people and um, I can see for some it's in their thinking, right? That their thinking begins to spin and get really ruminating on a what if, what if, what if kind of circle. And they can tell that they're stressed because they can't quiet their mind. They can't fall asleep. They're constantly distracted by that line of thinking. And that that's kind of intruding in everything that they're doing. Now that may be you, and this would be a place where if you can kind of begin to sit back and think about how does my stress show up for others, I would say it shows up in their emotion. I mean, I don't know how you guys are, but when you're sitting with people, there are some folks who walk into my office and their emotion is all over the room. They're very teary. They're very fragile. They're irritable and angry about things and impatient and frustrated. So the emotion is big, right? So some people, their emotion shows up first. And for other people, they feel a gut punch in their stomach. They feel tension in their shoulders and they, they first recognize their stress in their body. So I, I would say that step one, before we know what to do with it, we've got to know that it's present. So how do you recognize, okay, I'm having a moment of struggle. I am in a moment that's uncomfortable and unsettled now is when I got, I got to take care of myself. So how does it start show up for you? I don't know if you notice that for, for your patients, or if you're seeing that. I, I think say, you're spot on. Yeah. And I would say all of the above. I, we, yeah. I, I feel it in myself. You know, I feel, uh, I start to get hot, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh gosh, here we go. This yeah. is stressful. <laughs> and you, and you do, you start to yeah, that those palpitations almost, and it's like, I got to remedy this and here's either it's, I've got so much to do, or I've got to handle this or handle that. And yeah, I think noticing it and recognizing, and then trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to maybe not fix it, but how am I going to alleviate this? Yeah. But you're so right though, that how I want to do something about it. I want to fix it because when we are in that stress, we wanted to go away, right? Yeah. We don't want to feel that way. And so we either want to push it aside, we want to fix it, we want to problem solve it. Um, and, and that's understandable. It's not comfortable. But when you notice it, when you name a feeling and you say, I, because a lot of times I think we railroad through, we just kind of, I, I say, I use the metaphor in my office, we just like start blowing through traffic lights, right? Like you don't even notice what you're feeling. You're just kind of on the ride. But when we say, whoa, stop and think, take a moment. I am feeling impatient. I'm feeling dread. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I am feeling lonely, isolated. When we name the feeling, we give ourselves just a little bit of distance, a little space. And in that space between ourselves and the feeling, and in that space, we can make a choice and we can get back in the driver's seat and we can make some choices, smart, healthy choices about how to take care of ourselves in that moment. It's just a little moment. I feel sometimes like when they are diagnosed, they get on this roller coaster ride and they're going 90 to nothing. And then whenever they're done with treatment, they hit this brick wall and a lot of emotions come up. Yeah. They don't it's know. So common. Yeah. And it's, it's hard for 
me to understand because I haven't been there, but what are ways that they can, um, or what, what can they do to cope with those feelings? I appreciate you saying that you're on a roller coaster or a, a, a track, a pace through diagnosis and in treatment of just moving. And, 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 and then there's a wall that maybe people hit post-treatment. I have sat with many people who didn't feel prepared for that wall that felt like, you know, I thought that that initial diagnosis was my big upheaval. I thought that the heavy lifting of my cancer experience was getting chemo treatment to chemo treatment, managing my side effects, navigating body image and losing my hair or how I talk with friends or continue to live and function in my life while I'm on active treatment. I had no idea that the emotional impact of this really hit home when it was all done. Right. Yeah. And I think that is very common. So I want to highlight that and say it again. So if you are listening and you are post-treatment and you're feeling like what the heck happened in my life and shouldn't I be like throwing my cap in the air and celebrating that I'm done and yet I'm struggling, I think that that's very normal place to be. Um, most people walk through my office after all of treatment is done. And, and, and so I think, you know, how do we begin to navigate what we're thinking and how we get ourselves back grounded into today? Um, I said, noticing the feeling, getting back in the driver's seat, not letting that emotion drive the bus, but letting you kind of begin to make some smart choices to care for yourself. Um, I think that's, that's part of what we're, I think where we're headed, what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think, you know, Pam, we've talked about this on several occasions where a lot of times you're you're going through a treatment summary and a care plan with a survivor and you end up, you know, validating a lot of the feelings and it's okay and it's okay and it's normal, but yet um, that's the first step, right? Validation and it is normal, and it, but then it's got to take it to the next step and go, I need to work through this. And so, Julie, let's walk through some of your strategies that you've talked about before. Um, you've got several great tips and ways, and, and it, it's, it's something that's, I know that they're chomping at the bit. Our listeners are saying, okay, 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 that's me, that's me, that's me. How do I... Yeah. How do I go next? <laughs> okay, so um, so I think you know all of coping is a balance. There's a balance between many things here, and step one balance is, and we just already talked about it, is the balance between insight. Why is this happening to me? What's going on? How did I get here? And how do I begin to prepare for this to happen for myself? And calm. Okay. I think in that fight flight response that we have, we want to solve it. We want to understand it. But first step one is you got to get your body calm. You're not going to take great care of yourself if you are totally flooded with uncomfortable feelings. So what do I mean by get calm? So when you notice your stress, so we've done that work of self-awareness and we notice that I'm having a moment of struggle. Mm -hmm. Step one is you've got to get your body calm. We want to jump into problem solving. We want to jump into action. But the first action is to quiet and calm our bodies. Because when you do that, you not only feel better, but you're going to act smarter. Okay? So how do we calm? These are your head. Your thinking lives everywhere, right? Like our thinking lives in our perceived future. Our thinking is rehashing things that we should have done in the past. But your body only lives in the present. So you're saying, you're thinking, you're listening to us talking right now. And you're like, how do I do that? How do I find calm? Use your body. Let your body ground you back. 
And I give people a strategy called five, four, three, two, one a lot. Five, four, three, two, one is using your five senses, which are part of your body, right? And going, turning your attention to that experience. So can you name five things that you see? I'm looking around my office when I'm sitting here with you. I see both of you on my screen. I see my water bottle on my desk. I see the cars driving outside of my window. I have five things that you see, four things that you hear. I can hear my clock ticking. I can hear the noise outside. I can hear the people in the hall speaking. Three things that you feel. Feeling is like I can feel my sweater on my skin. I can feel the floor under my feet. I can feel the temperature of the air. Um, Two things that you smell and one thing that you taste. So as you work your way through those five senses, it gets a little harder. I mean, paying attention to something that you taste when you aren't eating is going to require some attention, right? It's going to, it's going to, but when you do that, you're turning your attention away from the worry, away from the fear that's kind of taking over in your mind to your body and to your present. And it slowly begins to quiet and calm you. So five, four, three, two, one can be really powerful to kind of bring you back into a quiet place of right here in this exact right now. Breathing. Breathing changes the pace of our body, kind of just very much centering yourself in this, this, this place where you are right now, sorting your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think um, it brings me back, Pam, we talk about being present, you know, so many times we talk about, you know, uh, our like meditation or Tai Chi, Qigong kind of brings you into the present and focuses you on right then, right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Taking the time to do that, though, is hard. It is hard. Well, well, it's it's a habit. I like to call it a habit, right? So any habit is hard initially. But one of the challenges I give people is, can you, in listening to me today and listening to this conversation today, can you use that as your starting point? Let's use this right now as a starting point to begin to cultivate a habit of checking in. Checking in, how am I doing? How am I doing right now? Can you, A, name the feeling, like what's happening in your body, what we talked about, self-awareness, but then begin to get centered in your right now. What am I doing that's helpful? Some of those things might be, it's helpful for me to connect with somebody else and to reach out. It's helpful for me to refill my water glass. It's helpful for me to stand and look out the window and get some perspective. It's helpful. Those things are helpful. It's not so helpful that I'm getting lost in my social media feed. That is not helpful for me right now. It's not so helpful that I'm fortune telling in my mind and kind of coming up with worst case scenarios. So if we begin to pay attention to what we're doing that's helpful and not helpful. It seems like all the social workers that we talk to, they all have this calming voice that I want to go back like two minutes and just hear your voice again and calm me down again. Mm. Oh, thanks, Kim. And you know what? I think too that, that you know, you just said my voice. You know, when when you begin to do this, I think you can cultivate that that island of calm within yourself too, where you find that. Right. So going back to, you know, connecting kind of with the here and the being present and what I'm feeling and what I'm smelling using my senses, 
um, it really kind of, as you just said, that talks about the past and the present and the future. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried so much about what's next or hopefully I'm not, right? That's the goal, not, not to stress about what's next, being present in the, in the moment right then. And I mm-hmm. think that's hard for me sometimes. And I don't know about our survivors listening, but I think it's hard to really be able to completely separate the worry about 10 minutes from now a day from now, maybe three, six months from now, a year from now. Right. And, and, um, I, as a, as a therapist, I am so not in the habit of making any feeling a bad feeling. Right. So our fear and our worries serve a purpose. And, and honestly, we're, we're humans are a being that has that capacity, unlike any other living being. Right. And it helps to protect us. So our fear and our worry, give us solid information about like, Hey, that worry within me, if I really look at it, it's unanswered questions. I got some questions. And if I sit with it for a second, if I welcome that worry in, not fight it off, just say, okay, worry, you're with me today. (laughs) You're sitting beside me, right? Worry's with me. What do you got to say? And worry is like, well, I'm, I don't know how I would notice symptoms. It's really hard for me to think that my scans are being pushed further away. Three months felt really comfortable. I'm not going to be able to tolerate six months. What if something happens in that time? Oh, what if there's a question? So can I begin to outline some questions I might ask my nurse, my doctor that can help me to know what are the symptoms I'm looking for? What do I do if I have a question between now and the next time I talk to you? So that worry and that fear, it's valid. It's important. Sometimes we have to invite it in, sit with it and come to better understand it. And that helps shine the light forward. But sometimes it hijacks, right? It, it takes over. Boy, does it. I mean, I don't know about, about you, Pam, but I... <laughs> inviting my worry my fear my anxiety to come in and sit right next to me sounds horrible i I mean i'd rather take a hammer to the my thumb yeah (laughs) well so it's a practice right and it's and, and if i think you know you saying that but i i really feel that if i had some of my survivor patients around me they would say it is unrealistic frankly, to think that I'm going to completely eradicate or get rid of my fear and my worry. Like I'm trying, I'm working real hard at it, but I'm spending all this energy. I'm exhausted and I'm constantly in a fight with my fear and my worry. So I think in some ways there, we have to understand that some of this fear and this worry won't go away. So how we just say, Hey, worry, fear, you're going to walk with me today. You're going to be able to linger in the background while I focus on what's right in front of me, while I begin to pay attention to what's right in front of me today, what's going on there. It's almost like pushing that future worry into a, a place that I, I, I'm just going to, I know it's here. I can't handle it. I can't control it. I can't fix it. I'm going to see it down the road. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of touching on two other tricks that I give people one of them. So another idea strategy for, for people is I, when you begin to get better at noticing your thinking, can you sort it? So, okay. That thought that I'm having is a past thought. I'm going to put it in my past bucket. That thought that I'm having is a future oriented thought. It matters. I'm not going to dismiss it or minimize it. It matters. It is a big deal. I can't do anything about it today. I'm going to put it in my future pot 
and I'm going to delegate it to my future self. Okay. Sometimes that's helpful because it, it makes it feel like, okay, I've seen you. I know that that worry and that fear is out there, but it's, I've got to put it, I've got to put it out here for later. And I'm going to give it to my future self to deal with. Similarly, and people find a lot of benefit in this. And sometimes I, I, I this helps when you're at work or in your in a social gathering, or you're surrounded by people and boom, sometimes our feelings come and get us unexpectedly, right? We just have a a flood of anxiety or worry. And we're in a space where we cannot deal with that right now, right? You're either at work or you're at maybe a gathering. Can you know to take a, take a tip to the bathroom? Can you take a break? And can you just say, see it? I feel this. I'm, I'm aware of this. And when I get home tonight, I'm going to give myself full permission to just let loose on this fear or on this worry. I'm going to give myself permission at six o'clock tonight to cry, to write, to talk about it. So maybe setting aside a time later where you're going to give yourself a worry moment. Now, here's the fascinating thing, at least what I hear from my, my patients, is that when they get to six o'clock, somehow the intensity of that doesn't feel quite the same. So they can still go back and they can notice it and maybe they write about it or they talk about how that kind of feeling flowed through. But sometimes when we kind of push it off, we bookmark it for later, it changes sometimes the intentional intensity of it. I can totally see how that works. Um, it's almost like in the moment, it's bigger than it really maybe was. Yeah. 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 Acknowledging yeah. it and then writing it down, but not putting all your efforts in it at the same time. Noting it, you know, and that can happen with anything, cancer, relationships, like, mm -hmm. hey, this just hit me. I just got a, a really awkward, hard text, or I just got triggered by watching. I had a client that gets triggered by seeing cancer commercials on TV. Sure. Right? Yeah. And she's watching the show with her kids and, and she doesn't want to have that moment, but bam, that, that, that commercial comes on and she's feeling it. So she says, you know what, after this movie's over and I get the kids to bed, then I'm going to wreck, I'm going to, I'm going to have some time with that. And I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to honor it. But then when you get there, it's somehow that feeling is different. One thing you said, Julie, that I'd like to uh, go back to, it was one of your strategies you were talking about, like when you talk about worry or anxiety being unanswered questions and the unknown. Um, I find myself sometimes being very anxious about what ifs and this could be and that could be and and whatnot. But I think um, the unanswered question part is is intriguing to me because I know a lot of our survivors try to soak and they get they get bombarded with information and they try to soak it all in, but really truly educating and try to answering those questions can relieve some of that, right? Oh yeah. So I think, you know, I always think that educating yourself is an incredible tool to feeling calmer. Our anxiety and worries, a lot of time questions that we have, and maybe they're really big ticket questions like what's prognosis rate around this? Um, what, what, what will happen when I am five years out and I've had all of this treatment in my body? What can I expect or what, what will happen to me? What if I want to have children and I get to that stage and what's my fertility? So I think a lot of question and worry is sometimes uh, a lot of worries, unanswered questions, make a list, begin to educate yourself, really learn your unique and very personal lane. 
um, which is tricky because a diagnosis of like, for example, breast cancer is many, many things. There's a lot of different types of breast cancer. Do you know your type of breast cancer? Same thing with different, with ovarian cancer, different kinds of cancer. There's many types of one diagnosis. And we can learn that from talking to peers, other cancer survivors. You've learned lots of wonderful, valuable information from talking to cancer survivors and fellow peers, your medical team, but just that you know, what's, what's my lane? Because we can also get sidetracked and, oh my gosh, everybody else is doing this. Why am I not doing that? That leads to worry. And then that leads you to a conversation with your doctor. Oh my gosh, I was scrolling the internet. It was on a dark, deep hole. And oh, I found yeah. all these clinical trials. My doctor hasn't said a doggone thing about clinical trials. Right. Well, there you go. You've got a pretty solid conversation there now to have with your doctors about, hey, I'm seeing these trends. How do I find out about clinical trials? When do you tell me about things? So, so a lot of that feeling that you had could really lead to smart conversations with your team. I also think some anxiety comes from um, those that try to mean well. Um, giving you all their opinions. Well, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did this. Well, the internet tells you to do this. I feel like that would be a very hard um, spot for cancer survivors in their anxiety level. Mm -hmm. It is. That, that contributes to overload. So as much as we want you to educate and learn, I think there is also wisdom in beginning to figure out what sources feel reliable yeah. and really valuable for you. And you're going to know that based on how you feel again, back to, Hey, let's start get cultivating this habit of checking in with myself based on how you feel when you're in that space. So I've, I've talked to certain people where they begin to read all about a certain diet, or they read about a complementary alternative medicine, right? And as they're reading, they're beginning to feel nervous, overwhelmed, frustrated. And, and Hey, hold on. Well, with that feeling that you're having in the midst of that isn't serving you. Let's take that information, go to a place where you consistently feel grounded and supported. Like, let's not ignore it. Let's use it, but take it to the place where you feel like you're always answered in a way that is um, dependable and reliable for you. Maybe that's your, your doctor, a certain person on your medical team. It may not always be your oncologist. Maybe it's that super awesome nurse that really gets you and understands you. So where can you take the information that is kind of making you spin and hash it out? Yeah. You'll have friends that you can go to. And I think there's probably different categories for friends. Yeah. Things. Did I talk about that in that, in that group that you listened yeah. to? I don't know. I talk about this a lot and I still love that you bring it up because it's a way of, it's another strategy, mm -hmm. um, categorizing your friends. People like this because they have felt different feelings and different reactions from the people in their, in their lives. So I tell people, sit back. And you can do this right now as we're listening and, and really think about all of the people in your life, all of them. So that might include clearly your family and your close friends, but it might also include your neighbors, maybe a, um, a family of faith, uh, maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's um, your medical team, certainly, you know, all of the people in your, in your circle. And in that, can you name, can you identify those folks that know exactly what to say. They hear you in all the right ways. 
They respond exactly with what you need. They celebrate you without feeling jealous. They can also tolerate the bottom of the well. I mean, those are rare and special people in our lives. I call those your F friends. I, I categorize this by FDR because I can remember that president FDR, but FDR. So I call those folks your F friends because it's F stands for feeling and they are special and people really only have a few, two, maybe three, not a huge handful of those folks, right? They may not also be your spouse or your, or your best friend. It may be different people, unexpected, but where you find that need to be met. Second category, and this is usually the biggest group for folks, are the D people. And D stands for doing. These individuals care deeply about you and they and that you matter to them and they check in frequently and they are very connected to you. But when you have an emotional moment, the, whoa, they don't know what to do with that. <laughs> they are, they're like deer in headlights. They're like, they don't know what to say. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Click. I mean, they don't know how to handle that. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable for them. It's overwhelming to them. They start to cry and then you're comforting them. You know, it just begins to be a lot for you. So they are really great friends and family. They're important in your circle, but they might not be able to handle the feeling stuff. And that's good for you to begin to recognize and know because it protects you because that is hard to have that and then the third group is where we hit with r and i that r for me stands for respite and these individuals may be the ones that you've been most let down by so maybe they just have not been present They're, they aren't calling and checking in at all and certainly they don't know how to handle the big stuff that is really out of their realm um and it, you might feel disappointed in them but you know what? All of these people serve a purpose. And I sometimes think that, and I sit with people who feel sick and tired of their cancer diagnosis, and they don't want to talk about it all the time. And they don't want to have to answer questions, how you doing and all that. And you know what? When you're in that space where you kind of want to parachute out of all this, Mm -hmm. That our friend is going to be great because they're going to ask you about you. They're not going to even say, they're not going to even remember to say, how are you doing? They're going to talk on and on about their kids and their vacation and all that they're doing and what's going on with major league baseball and all this. They're going to just totally speak about something else. And sometimes that feels like a vacation and it feels like a place where it's safe, where I'm not going to have to face my cancer today. I'm just going to go with this person who's a good time. Am I, I see. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see respite friends. I see the survivorship center being each one of these, but, right. but I see a lot of the things we do take, for instance, you know, a hike at, at the Canyon, or when we take our survivors fly fishing and teach them how to fly fish, it's a respite. I mean, we've said all along, all of these activities and, and programs and classes we do are, are, they're perfectly designed for what they are. And sometimes they're cleverly designed as a respite. You know, mm -hmm. we go walk through the Christmas lights. It's not to talk about your cancer or to talk about how you're feeling. It's to just enjoy being outside, look at the pretty things or do something that's different and challenging than you've ever done before. But yet we also have doing classes, right? And then we also have these feeling classes, like maybe it's sitting down and talking with one of our counselors, or maybe it's going through your treatment summary and care plan. Um, I, I, this just hit me when you were talking about that, Julia. I think the Survivorship Center 
can be multifaceted, which is really kind of unique. Good. I think that, you know how a bit ago I talked about coping as balance. I sat with a woman once, wonderful, such a great, you know, such a great, you know, resilience in her. And we, she's a mom and she's a stage four breast cancer survivor. And she talked to me about, there are times when I need my cancer people. I need to be surrounded by people who get me and who understand what I'm dealing with and who, and who can just, I don't have to say much, but they know where I'm at. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there are times when I got to be with like all the moms on the soccer team and I got to flow out of this and I got to like order pizza and get a beer with people and I got to get out. And it's kind of knowing where I, what I'm needing. And when my soccer mom friends begin to just feel trivial and, and it doesn't feel like the depth that I need, then I know inside of me that checking in with myself, I know that I'm not feeling irritable at these folks or maybe I am, but that is that irritability is telling me that I'm needing the depth and the knowledge and the understanding of my cancer survivor peers. But then sometimes I sit in those groups and it feels heavy and it feels consuming. And uh, that feeling is telling me I need to hang out with these other gals or these other moms and I need to fly out of this for a bit. So sometimes we just really need to get to know that about ourselves as survivors too, is where am I on that spectrum? And I think it's okay to be in both places yeah. at a given time. Absolutely. We always are, right? Yeah. I can see how this can save a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I realize real quick that that this is my doing friend and I don't I don't need them to do anything, maybe, or well, I need this. It's it's being, it's selecting, as you said a minute ago, kind of your lane. Which lane do you need to be in at that moment? And it it takes some um, discipline, right? Because there can be a moment, there can be days when we are having a lot of emotion and, and things are really heavy on our heart. And yet if you unload that, to a D or an R friend, you're, you're not going to get what you need. You just really aren't. They're not going to know how to respond to that. And that could leave you feeling really alone. So when you're having that, it's really good and helpful to know, protective to you to know, okay, this is the friend that can sit with me in this today. You know, you, you, you mentioned something about support and you're talking about your support team and, and your groups and things like that. And we have a support group and um, we have, we have these things available, but how, how, how can that really play a role in alleviating some of your overload that you have? Well, I think that I, I am a huge proponent of peer to peer support groups and people come to a readiness for that or an awareness that that's what they're needing in, in many different ways. Everybody is different. I've sat with so many folks who are like, support groups are not for me. I appreciate that, that they're out there, but they're just not for me. And, and I'm like, that's understandable. You feel like you feel supported and cared for where you are. Um, it is not uncommon that those same folks down the road feel like I've got some things that I'm dealing with 12, 16 months after my diagnosis. And, and I just need to know that I'm normal to be worried about that. And then they do begin to connect with peers. So that is available to you at any point along the trajectory of a cancer diagnosis. I think that when you sit with peers and you do those activities, you do those support groups, it allows you to just feel understood in a way that is just very grounding and calming. Um, There's a shoulder going down (laughs) exhale moment that happens in a support group or happens in my office when people realize that all of this feeling that they're having is normal. 
because mm-hmm. it may not be normal for you in your big giant life, but it is very normal for survivors. And I think that that's important to kind of experience that. I would also say in groups, and I don't know if you guys see this, um, that there can be two benefits too. There can be that feeling of really feeling known and understood and, and cared for and sharing tips and tricks and things. But there's also, and this is more private, I hear about it privately in my office, where people talk about going into a group and, wow, I am not coping like that anymore. I used to be, but now I'm not. Or this other group, woman in the group, she was just really overwhelmed with feelings. And I left there thinking I'm actually doing pretty well. And, and I think that's a quieter thing, but I think that sometimes a group gives us perspective and it helps us to recognize, you know what, this is hard and this is really challenging, but I, I'm also, you know, finding my way. I'm also figuring out how to do this day. I'm making it from the morning to the night. Somehow what's going on? I'm doing good. <laughs> Something at work here. Yes. And I feel like it's so important for every stage of the journey to be in those support groups, those that are newly diagnosed, mixed in with those that have been survivors for 15 years, because I think they can all learn something from everybody in that group. Yeah. I think there's value in both. I think there's value in those moments when we all mix together because you see the trajectory, you see what's possible. And then I think there are also times when let's say advanced stage or metastatic patients really need to sit with metastatic patients. Right. Really need to feel like you get where I'm at today. Or or yeah. I I, I can totally see that and and we have seen that. And and the unique thing too is I think a lot of people have missed perceptions of what a group is you know and we always talk about and and try to make light of it because what it's not we talk a lot about what support group isn't as opposed to really what a support group is I mean it's not where you come in and you have to introduce yourself and the old oh my name is Ryan and I'm a survivor and everybody says oh hi Ryan (laughs) it's it's not like that I mean I know our support group there's a lot of laughter Oh yeah. There's a lot of just, you know, humor mixed in with whatever they're going through and whatever those things are, because there's that common thread. And as you said, someone I mean, to be able to understand and experience that, um, it, it, it can be tremendously uh, perspective driven. Yeah. Um, and I know you've got groups that are, are facilitated and the job of that facilitator is to keep it safe and to keep things moving and to keep things kind of in a space where everyone has space and time. Um, I did a lot of groups and then they would end. And I know that those groups continued to meet outside in my absence. And I love that because they formed relationships and they moved on in different ways. They found their support team. Yeah. And, and, you know, support groups also challenge that worry wheel. You know, we were talking about those what ifs and those worry wheel, that worry wheel that gets going for people. And, 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 you know, when I, 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 a little bit ago, I said fear and, and, and worry have a purpose, but when do they have a tipping point? I think, you know, if I can just put a little not a note in there, if you notice yes, but in your worry, yes, but so you're doing all you can to challenge it. Right. But it just, your, your thoughts just keep going back to yes, but this, yes, but yes, but yes, but if you hear that, that's your flag. That's your little smoke signal that now we have crossed over the line 
And it is no longer about what you're worrying about, the content of the worry. Now the issue to address is just the fact that you're worrying, that you're stuck in the worry wheel. And, and that's, and, and that, and the group can kind of catch that and watch that too. I can see how that would be uh, almost like, let's get, let's get, bring you back to center. The group can help you. Uh, let's move on from that. And let's, let's get you back, back centered and, and, and where grounded, as you said, you know, one of the things uh, Julie, that you talked about in, in, in a, a previous talk is looking at perspective and balance. And mm -hmm. I really like the ways that you talk about this. So let's, let's dive into that here kind of as our last little strategy and last little tip that we can impart with our, our listeners about putting into perspective and balance where they are in their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I think of perspective two ways, you know, I think of perspective as, and um, I used to say zoom in and zoom out. Now you've got a pinch on your phone. Yeah. We're no longer using cameras okay. where we have our <laughs> lens and we zoom in and zoom out. We just pinch, <laughs> but some days um, the overwhelm, the fear, the anxiety, like I think, you know, scanxiety, we talk about that a lot. Right. And, and I don't know if you, you watch and I certainly feel it and see it in my clients that as they get closer and closer to a date on a calendar, that that intensity of worry and fear ramps up. So some there are days that are heavier. And in those days, it can be really helpful to just zoom real way in on your life and this exact now to chunk your day into manageable pieces of time. So I will end sessions with my clients who are in that space. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to just really tighten up this frame of focus right now for you. Your, your scan is on Friday morning. Okay. It's Wednesday. So when we hang up the phone today, all you're going to focus on is from the hang up of our phone until dinner time. That's it. And every time your mind begins to travel, you're going to bring it on back. And we're just going to do what's on your agenda right now until dinner. And then after dinner till bedtime. And then tomorrow we're going to chunk it from wake up until breakfast, breakfast until lunch, you know, just really, really tight. And I think that that helps people feel a little bit more, man, more control, puts the guardrails on that worry. Um, there are other times when we feel our identity feels so blurry and hazy in a diagnosis, right? Who, where am I going? Like, why did this happen? Like, what now? You know, I, I'm done. I, I, I don't, am I going back to my job? Am I, am I just kind of start doing the laundry again? I mean, what, what's up? What, what's happened to my life? I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know. I don't feel connected. And in those moments of loss and confusion, I think there's great value in zooming way out, way out, outside of that laundry that you got to do, outside of the to-do list and the tasks and that are right in front of you in the uncertainty, but the big giant picture of you and, and who are you and what are your values? What are the things that have always been important to you? Family, maybe, maybe it's a sense of feeling authentic, genuine. Maybe it's a sense of being adventurous. I don't know. What are the values that matter a great deal to you? And how can those things be your North star? Yeah. I sat on the phone last night with someone who's questioning, you know, she's post-treatment. She's had a lot of change in her body. 
She's single. She's 27. Yeah. Like, how do I, like, no one's going to date me. Like, I don't know how to do that. Like what? And, and how do I, do I talk about this with people? Do I not? Like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have kids. I don't know what to do. And we go way back to who are you? Tell me about who you are and what's important to you when people meet you. What do you want them to see? How do you use that to help you find the next step forward? Okay. I'm going to lean heavy into that. And that can be helpful sometimes. Yeah. I, the, these are the discussions, Pam, that I, I, you can't put into words and have, and try to even understand, but I hate that these are the discussions that have to come up. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and they all are so important to talk about and not hide them under a rock. Right. And I think, you know, it's cancer for some, it's other things. I don't know if the two of you like have moments in your life where there's been a huge unexpected change in the road mm -hmm. or a moment that didn't go the way you thought. And you're sitting there like, where, what, whoa, what, what am I doing here? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that moment of like, who am I, what's important to me? How do I continue to show up in a way that feels really valuable to what, what, how I want to live my life? Right. What, what can I bring to the table? What am I bringing to the table? Who do Absolutely. I want to be? What's yeah, my favorite who, self? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Julie, you have enlightened our listeners. I know you've enlightened me. Um, I need to go find my friends. <laughs> I see our friends and see who they are. So I am prepared if I should ever need that strategy. And yeah. um, we really appreciate you being on our podcast. And um, we want to leave our listeners with the Pete's powerful moment as we do every um, episode. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. We would love to hear your Pete's powerful moment. Mm, I am thinking about, so I have sat with hundreds, if not thousands of cancer survivors in my life. So I have watched this, this move through newly diagnosed to post-treatment to ongoing survivorship. And I'm thinking about one young woman that I worked with who sat with me from the point that she was diagnosed and really struggled, really struggled with her sense of value in herself and recognizing what, how she would do this, how she would move forward in her life. And I remember a session sitting with her and just <laughs> almost at my, like kind of grasping for straws and saying, can you just, can we just find one thing that you like about yourself today? Can we just name one thing that we walk out of here? And literally she kind of rolled her eyes at me. She's like, well, I mean, I like the way my eyebrows have come back in. I like the shape of my eyebrow. I mean, that's all we could grab, right? So we do get, we we're like, okay. And then over time, she kept going. And in five years after that, I was keynoting at a conference, a cancer, cancer conference. And I looked at the agenda and down on the agenda, she was on a panel talking about how cancer had changed her and impacted her life and how there was anger and kind of a street fight with that as well, but how she came to understand what she learned about herself in that journey. And I just remember feeling so proud of her and feeling so excited for her journey in that and understanding herself through that. So I think that, and I, and that's one example, but I have watched so many people, people ask me all the time, how do you do what you do? Like, isn't this so depressing? And I say to people, it's not at all. I sit with people in the midst of great resilience. I watch it every day. Somehow you're getting from morning to night.
Most definitely. That's very powerful. Pam, we've talked, the, Julie's. you've used so many words that just spark in my mind. And, you know, you talk about the, the journey and that's what we talk about all the time is the, you know, their cancer journey, their cancer story. And, you know, this is, it, it doesn't end here. You know, you're just because of where you are, it is a journey. And we hope to, our goal with what we have here at the center is to take someone when they're finished with their treatment and really kind of help bring them back to where they were pre-cancer. And yeah. it's an incredibly lofty goal. And um, that's what we strive for. And I think so much of what you shared today, um, which I'm, I'm gonna just say again, I hope you took notes. And if you mm -hmm. didn't, you can, thankfully, this is not a one and done podcast. It, it will live on in, in infamy out there in eternity on, in, the, in the cyber world. But you can go back and re-listen to this and take notes and, and, and share this because my goodness, I, as a non-cancer survivor, um, I've got some work to do. And I, I think <laughs> I, I figured out, Pam, I'm not going to ask you which friend I am. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, you talk about going back and revisiting things. I'll, I'll also just put this out there and just share. I, I do have a TED talk out there in the big world. Um, oh. And it, the title of my TED talk, and it comes from years of sitting with cancer survivors. But the title of my TED talk is called Living in the And. And my name, Julie Larson and living in the and, and, and it, it's kind of this, it's a lot of this, it's, it's listening close to what we're feeling, honoring that and connecting and finding balance and seeking meaning in that moment. So that's another, you know, it's uh, out there. Where else, Julie, can our listeners, uh, pick up some of your information? So that, um, so I mentioned the TED Talk. I've also got a website. It's got lots of information there too. JulieLarsonLCSW.com. Awesome. Julie, this has been uh, very educational, very enlightening, very validating. And I think uh, another descriptive word would be challenging. Yeah. And so um, thank you for challenging us and educating us and uh, really passing on um you know, your life work that you've done, um, in about an hour. I mean, it's been, it's, there's, I, 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 we, we warned them up front, didn't we? We warned them lots of great info, lots of, of takeaways from this. Uh, but thank you for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan, what's the homework this week? Oh my goodness. Well, Let's start with this, with the homework we always give everybody, right? You need to like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, I think is share this podcast. Um, share this podcast with your cancer friends, uh, maybe even those that aren't cancer friends who are, you know, a support network uh, would be fantastic to share with. But I'm telling you what, the other thing I want to challenge our listeners today is take this to heart. Find where you are in this continuum of where we just walked through and where you're struggling. Maybe it's in the, in the worry. Maybe it's in the, you need to zoom out uh, and zoom, as Julie said, zoom way out. Um, maybe it is just trying to figure out if I can sort which of my friends go where and know who I need when I need them. Uh, maybe that's the nugget from today, right? Right. There's right. Some and if they're struggling, we want to encourage them, encourage you to come in and visit us at the Survivorship Center. We have lots of programs available that may help you where you are at. Um, and everything is how much, Ryan? 
it costs you nothing. hundred <laughs> percent free. If you need to come and just listen in the support group, cost you zero. You need to come and go on a, on a hike with us, be in the great outdoors, or if you need to speak with our counselor, 100% of what you'll get from this place is entirely free. Check out our website, the number 24survivorship.org. Give us a call, find out how you can get plugged in, and then definitely be back next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.